The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello. Welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I'm the host for the podcast. My husband, Steve Siegel, is the producer and co-founder of the podcast. Today's episode is episode number 354. And just a reminder to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star rating. That way, when people are looking for help with addiction, they find our podcast, and the hope is that one of the stories that we have had on the podcast will inspire others to get help, stay sober, get their friends sober, what have you. Please also check out our YouTube channel, subscribe, ring the bell so that you get notified when we have a new video, and also give those videos a thumbs up because once again, then people find us on YouTube when they're looking for help with addiction. Today's interview is uh, an interview with a gentleman named Steve Yates. Steve Yates is from St. Petersburg, Florida, and he serves as a senior fellow and chair of the China Policy Initiative. He's an analyst and practitioner with experience at various levels of politics, policy, media, and national security affairs. He's a veteran commentator and trainer for television, radio, and print media opportunities. Yates has navigated policy decision-making processes across agencies, foreign and domestic. Since 2006, he's been a senior advisor to presidential campaigns, a frequent media commentator, and CEO of DC International Advisory. Steve and his wife adopted a young girl. Her name was Christina, and she ended up turning to drugs, and through their struggle to save her, he has quite the story and quite the commentary on what took her life, what they found after she died, and also what he's doing to help others so that they don't go through this same loss that he did. So let's talk to Steve Yates. Steve Yates, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk to us today and tell us both your and Christina's story. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me. Absolutely. I should probably just make a note. I didn't put this in my intro, but to our listeners that um, my Steve and I heard Steve Yates uh, talk at um, an art museum in St. Petersburg, and we approached him because the story of his daughter is so impactful. We wanted him to tell it to you. So that's kind of, kind of how we met. But Steve, take us back and just, just really briefly, tell us about you, where you grew up, what your life was like, kind of how you got to where you are. Cause you're kind of a big wig. Oh, I don't know about a big wig and my head doesn't resemble a wig at this point, <laughs> but uh, I was I was born into a, an extremely large family. When I say extreme, maybe there's others that are like it, uh, but my father was the fourth of 15 grandchildren. And oh I'm my goodness. 50, or I was, he's the fourth of 15 children, I should say, and I'm the oldest of 50 grandchildren. Wow. And so growing up, I, I was very close with my grandparents. 
I met six of my eight great grandparents before they passed. The generations were close, the family was big. On the 4th of July, we would get together at my grandparents' home and we'd have a softball game. And just because there were 20 or more people on each side doesn't mean anyone was athletically inclined. <laughs> Some people were sitting in the outfield with a beer can and wouldn't move even if the ball came in their direction. Uh, and But I grew up in a very, very big family in rural Montgomery County, Maryland. And so uh, I, I grew up uh, in an area of Maryland that uh, was, uh, as I said, urban, but might overstate it. Uh, we lived in the suburbs of a town of 300 people. Oh, and my. So field in front of our house and a cow pasture behind our house. And our job was to go out and entertain ourselves however we, we could, maybe safely until the bell rang to come home. Uh, but I was right, my father's a car mechanic. My mom uh, took care of us at home until we were sort of of an age where I or my younger brother could watch over the rest. And mom went to work because she wanted to, and that was fine. It was good for the family. Uh, but I just, I grew up in a family that was organized around faith, organized around the neighborhood and community and hard work. I mean, there's no one on, I literally grew up on a, a road called Rocky Road. Uh, and the upbringing resembled that somewhat. My best friend growing up uh, was uh, an adopted child of a Mennonite family that, grew, that was just a few houses up from ours. Uh, and I want to share that because one of the uh, interesting ironies of life is that that family adopted uh, two children, a son and a daughter, from two different households. Uh, they were raised under the exact same circumstances and my friend went on to have immense troubles with identity and addiction uh, and eventually had three strikes and he's been uh, in a facility for much of his adult life. Hmm. His younger uh, sister uh, was had a very different experience, accepted her, her new family uh, and has had a very positive life in Southern Pennsylvania at this point. Uh, I had no idea that later in life there would be some echoes of this with my own children, partly because I'd grown up with such a large family, I never knew that I would need to consider adoption. Mm. Uh, but as, as luck would have it, uh, when I got married, my, my wife and I tried for a number of years, but were unable to conceive. And so we turned to the miracle of adoption, and that's what brought Christina Marie into our lives. Okay. And you adopted a boy as well, right? Yeah, my son, John, uh, came to us in six years later. Uh, and so both Christina and John uh, were from the same adoption agency, but two very different uh, family situations and a few years apart. Uh, but we did end up with a boy and a girl, uh, each with their own blessings. And as we learned, a, a few unique challenges. Right. And how old was Christina when you adopted her? Both were the next day after they were born. So oh my. Okay. from infancy. Uh, for, for those who uh, are familiar with adoption, I, I'm always impressed in a positive way by the number of families I come across who've been touched by adoption and foster care and things like that. There are a lot of wonderful, loving families in America. I think it's a great American story. Uh, but for us, it turned out that uh, mixed race children were among the shortest waiting lists because 
uh, a lot of families and they're, they're fine to have this approach if they choose it, want to adopt children that look like them. Uh, I was happy to uh, welcome children in that were not necessarily cursed with some of my appearance. Uh, and even, even among the least of which was uh, my ancestors, as wonderful as they were in some ways, didn't give me any pigment. And so I have to suffer under the sun. Neither of my children have that burden. Okay. Uh, so we, uh, we, we brought both of them home a day after they were born. Wow. And so tell, tell me about Christina and what her childhood was like. Well, I knew Christina was different from the moment she came home practically, and it had nothing to do with her appearance. She was just like a literal bolt of lightning had come through her. She had an energy I had not experienced. Her eyes were open. She lifted her head and smiled before other people said it was physically possible to do so. She was just in a hurry from the moment she came to this earth. Uh, she walked early, she talked early, uh, and even when she was uh, walking, it wasn't enough to walk. She got up on the knuckles of her toes and would run around on the knuckles of her toes, something I still sort of cringe thinking about at this point, but she had a high threshold for pain. She was strong and was uh, just active. And then when she wanted to go to sleep, uh, she would be serious about that too. So I was a new dad. I thought, okay, we're going to have these sleepless nights. Uh, but while she was definitely active, loud and proud during the day, she had firecracker red hair when she was a little kid. She hated that because it was so different. <laughs> Everyone else was like, wow, we'd pay for this color. But she would go through her day and at eight o'clock, almost like it was an alarm, she'd go over to the base of the stairs. She'd hold up her arms and she'd say, daddy, carry weedy pie. And I would take her up to her bed. We had this routine of a hug, kiss, and a pat. And she would then go, lie down. And really, within minutes, she'd be asleep. And she'd stay asleep for a whole eight hours. But that, you know, I so I thought that was normal. It was great. I escaped. <laughs> Uh, but uh, so I joke sometimes, but it's one of those things that pulls both directions on your heart. We did have that, but she found a way to keep dad up at night later in her life. Sometimes. The hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 866-989-4499 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. We appreciate you listening to the Addiction Podcast Point of No Return. We don't do this podcast because we are former addicts. We don't do this podcast because we have loved ones who have suffered from addiction. We do this podcast because we feel that addiction is one of the biggest problems facing the world today, and that no matter who you are, no matter your religion, no matter your income status, no matter your race, no matter anything about you, addiction affects you. This podcast is a free resource for anybody looking for help with addiction. If you would like to contribute to our podcast, please go to bit.ly slash fight drugs. That's https colon 
slash slash B-I-T dot L-Y slash fight drugs and make a donation of whatever amount you would like. Thank you for supporting us. Got it. Um, did, did you know anything about her history or about her background when you adopted her? Do they tell you that? They, they told us some of the things. Her birth mother was in a, a, a difficult situation, was in a correctional facility. Uh, Christina was the seventh child to this birth mother. Uh, there, there were drug and other issues involved in the family that led to the birth mother being on a registry that Christina would later be able to use to find her birth mother and make contact. Uh, and there were news accounts of what happened about why her birth mother had gone into a, a correctional facility. Uh, but uh, whatever the sins and troubles were of the birth mother, obviously she had her own dark passengers as I would refer to it because she ended up where she did, but she did find it in her heart. And I hope this gives inspiration to other people. She found it within her heart to give Christina a chance at life. And in some kind of a photo book that the adoption agency brought to the prison, she picked us out in our bios and said, I would like my child to be raised by these people. Wow. Uh, and so she nurtured her the best she could. Uh, Christina was unfortunately exposed to fetal alcohol, fetal cocaine, mm -hmm. and that would have a physiological and mental impact on her development. Yeah. Uh, and who knows, maybe it's what gave her that extra bolt of lightning that I, that, that I felt from the beginning. Um, but we knew some of these things okay. going in would be challenges to the extent that a, a family friend who's a leading pediatric physician said, don't adopt this child. I know your heart. I know you mean well, but this child is going to present with these following conditions and this is going to be extremely difficult. Why don't you allow another family, maybe an older family, a family with greater means to take this child in and you pick a different child. And I just couldn't accept that. Uh, and not once you met her, I mean, no, and yeah. also, I, again, I lived in this huge family. When you roll the DNA dice as many times as our family had, you'd figure you come up with all possibilities. You end up with people with all kinds of different dispositions, all kinds of makes, shapes, sizes, whatever. Yep. And uh, who was I to say that our family was the most sane gathering of humans there ever was anyway? And so uh, I sort of pushed it aside, but the, the physician was right. Christina did have almost every challenge he mentioned. Uh, and it was taxing to deal with, uh, but I couldn't stop loving her and couldn't stop trying just the same. Yeah. What, what led her to drugs? Do you know? Well, it's, I, I will never know the exact answer to it. Uh, there's, uh, I guess, a nature versus nurture element to this. On the nature side of it, if you are raised by parents who do not partake in these kinds of things and you're an exploratory juvenile, you might go out and hang with cool kids and rebel. That's in some ways what my friend growing up did when he was raised by a Mennonite family. He just went the complete different direction. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. 
We appreciate you listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. We don't do this podcast because we are former addicts. We don't do this podcast because we have loved ones who have suffered from addiction. We do this podcast because we feel that addiction is one of the biggest problems facing the world today, and that no matter who you are, no matter your religion, no matter your income status, no matter your race, no matter anything about you, addiction affects you. This podcast is a free resource for anybody looking for help with addiction. If you would like to contribute to our podcast, please go to bit.ly slash fight drugs. That's HTTPS colon slash slash B-I-T dot L-Y slash fight drugs and make a donation of whatever amount you would like. Thank you for supporting us. Uh, but then there's the nature part of it where both my friend growing up and Christina by birth clearly would have inherited whatever the DNA markers are to be at risk or have a propensity for these kinds of challenges. Uh, I don't believe in determinism, but at the same time, you can't run away from what cards nature deals you. Right. And so I think that was some of it. But socially, she just got to her junior high school, middle school age and uh, like I said, she was full of energy, couldn't be contained. She did things her own way. And off she would go with friends that wanted to experience different things. And once she got a taste, I think it was just kind of off to the races. Understood. But she wasn't born addicted, as far as you know. No, just exposed was all we were all we were told because and you know we all live and learn by what the the incarceration experience might be uh may come as a shock to some that outside of television and tv uh unfortunately people do have access to some dangerous things when they are in uh, the joint (laughs) the but uh but as far as we know the exposure in utero happened before she went in Uh, And very likely after the adoption agency was contacted that her system was probably clean, but the exposure happened. Uh, There was no indication that Christina was born addicted. I got it. And when did you, um, and I'm assuming you were still married at the time. Yeah. Okay. When did you and or your wife discover that um, she had a drug problem? Well, uh, I think it was basically in this junior high time frame. Uh, and I mean, you know, we were raised in very different circumstances, but I knew what the smell of some things were. Uh, and uh, you could tell that she had been dabbling, didn't really know what she had been dabbling with. Uh, but uh, early on, pretty sure she was smoking cigarettes, which pretty verifiable. Uh, And I don't necessarily ascribe everyone who partakes of tobacco as going on the slippery slope into all that Christina would eventually take. And as a dad of a beautiful little girl, you don't want to believe that of some of these things. Uh, And I tried to be positive and encouraging, but I also knew that I had to be a dad and try to give some discipline. Uh, I have to confess that Christina never responded to any of the mental gymnastics I could come up with on Mm -hmm. on that front. Uh, But things did escalate. By the time she got into high school and started uh, skipping a little bit more 
I could tell that she and her circle of friends were experimenting with things that were far stronger than marijuana. Mm-hmm. And then when some of those people started coming into my house uninvited uh, and unwanted and would either break things or come in through the basement windows, uh, and I could started to find people passed out in my property that I had to kick out, I knew that this was beyond just recreation and beyond someone dabbling with smoking weed. This was much more serious. And, you know, the first couple of times I had to deal with the police, which was not something I really wanted to do. And, you know, you live in rural America in a relatively straight-laced community. Uh, you know, it always helps to have the the, the murmuring uh, nannies on the corner uh, talk about who showed up and talked to you and whatever. But I was le- less concerned about the shame as I was, what are you supposed to do? I mean, there's only so much you can control about yeah. what... Uh, a teenage person is doing. You want to love them and you want them to, you don't want to lose them. But at the same time, you're trying to lay down boundaries, but finding a way to put boundaries in place was one of the the long-term, I think, experiences of frustration and sort of successes and failures that I went through uh, living with an addict. Right. Did she... Did she ever ask for help, um, acknowledge the fact that she needed help? When she was a teenager, she didn't. She, she, was, she was all about being uh, wise to what these things are, and you're not going to make me believe what you believe, and these people are cool, and they really care about me, and you guys should accept me, uh, and uh, all of that. Uh, it got to a point where she had to be arrested. Uh, she'd been pulled over a number of times uh, and had paraphernalia in possession. She was hanging out with people that had records. Uh, and finally, it came to a point where she got prosecuted and went into a diversion program to avoid a, uh, a sentence. And so she did probation in lieu uh, of a conviction in advance of a trial. And it was in that juvenile probation phase that I had to go to parenting class and she had to go to some counseling and she had to go through testing. She got clean uh, for that period. But as soon as she graduated from that, she was determined to leave. And when she found an opportunity, she ran away from home. Now, she, uh, when she left, she had reached 18. So technically she was an adult, she could go. Okay. Uh, but she was still in her, you know, just finishing what should have been her senior year of high school. Uh, And she ran away with a guy she would eventually marry uh, and landed in Colorado and lived from there. She asked somewhat for help during her Colorado experience, but never to completely get clean. She never, Mm. never, never really fully got on board on that front. Uh, It wasn't until the end of 2022 when I'd gone out to visit her and uh, I could see that she was she had been uh, teetering in homelessness. It's very cold where she was living and I just, I, I couldn't bear living with the horror of not knowing what she was doing and what could happen to her. Uh, exposure to cold was just kind of the least of it. Uh, and I guess I didn't say so far in the story, but she was a small person. Uh, so she, her, her birth mother was 110, 115 pounds pregnant. Uh, 
uh, and Christina got that kind of frame where she was, you know, five feet, five foot one, a hundred to 115 pounds, depending on her relative health. Uh, and so she didn't have a lot of insulation. She wasn't very big right. and knowing what the world has to offer. I was pretty scared of, uh, a stronger dominant person doing the unmentionable to her somewhere along the line. So at the end of 2022, I, I picked her and her dog up and moved her to Florida. And it was here that she went through detox uh, and went through a rehabilitation program. And she did get clean through that, uh, wrestled all the way through it. And I, you know, I guess she'd never fully committed to it, but we did get one truly beautiful and miraculous month earlier this year of her being kind of a normal person, present in conversation, returned to a normal body weight. Her skin was clear, her hair was healthy. She was trying. Uh, she had some struggles that happened after that, which we can talk about, but basically the journey from dabbling to being an addict and then seeking any form of help. She didn't really voluntarily ever seek the help, but finally went through it mm. when I found the issue earlier this year. Okay. And then, so she was clean and sober for a month. And then what happened after that? She, well, so during that period, she'd applied for a couple of jobs. And, you know, the whole plan was to have her settle, uh, give her a little supportive infrastructure, provide a place for her to live. She could secure a job. And unlike what had happened in Colorado, uh, she would actually be able to earn some money to be able to begin to provide for herself. She would find new friends, make a new identity, have a fresh start. Uh, but she wouldn't have to be completely alone. Not that hanging out with dad is the best thing in the world, but it's at least more than nothing. Uh, and if she needed something to eat, I would. she could come and eat with me. Uh, you know, when you live with an addict of many years, you get to a point where you can no longer just give money. Uh, and it's just a fact of life. It hurt her. It hurt me. I mean, I wanted to be able to trust her as much as she wanted to be trusted. But we got to a point where it just had to be, if you're truly hungry, we'll get together and make sure you eat. If you truly need company, we'll get together and we'll have company. Right. But if you're just hitting dad up for money, that's just never going to happen again. Right. Uh, but she was going through that attempt at rebuilding, having come out of the program. She applied for a couple of jobs. Um, and one of them had more of a test than I thought made sense for an entry-level job that basically involved grooming dogs. She loved dogs, uh, but they put her through this multiple day of tests about how to be a, how to be an employee. And I think that's when she discovered that although she'd become sober, five plus years of poisoning her mind had had an effect, mm. and she wasn't as able to complete the test as she would have. She's an intelligent person, but her ability to navigate that kind of thing had been compromised and she was denied the job. And then mm. she later applied for a job at a, at a smoke shop. And well, you know, I didn't want her to smoke. I was, I was happier to have her smoke than do other things. And when she wasn't offered the job for that, she basically told me, she said, dad, you know, when I was an addict and homeless, 
I knew I was a loser, but I was I would at least escape and I wouldn't feel like I was a loser while I was high. Wow. Now that I'm sober and they're telling me this, I really feel like a loser. And it just broke my heart. Oh, my God. It's just part of the experience that we as a culture have got to get better about how to hold people up when they're coming out the other end of this this shoot. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't, I, I tried, but I didn't know how to try to hold her together on it. But, and, and it's not to excuse what she did. She might've always had a demon that was going to lead her to relapse, but it led to a really dark, bad relapse in March after she had been clean for that month. We had a couple of back and forths where she was relatively healthy again, and she was able to reconcile with her brother for a time. And that was beautiful, but it was tenuous and, when he became convinced that she was using again, and it turned out he wasn't wrong, uh, he broke it off with her and they lived really near each other at that point. Uh, and that was hard for Christina to, to know that she was responsible for where that relationship was going. She was sober and recovered enough to feel the pain. Right. Uh, but not sober and, re and rehabilitated enough to make amends and go through the step work or whatever else works for people in the, in, in those circumstances. Right. So again, I, I, I don't make excuses. She flew too close to the sun. She took risks. She made choices. Uh, but that's kind of what the yo-yo experience was coming out of rehab. And then how we sort of went back and forth until she, she met her end later this year. And how, what came about, what happened? So uh, people that live in our part of Florida know that there was a there was a hurricane that came by late in the summer. Uh, I, I had to be out of town for work and I wanted to rely on Christina to help watch after her brother and make sure they had supplies and things like that. And she had been relatively good about trying to do these kinds of things. But I could tell something was wrong because she was gone a lot before the storm came. Uh, and then when the storm was approaching, she showed up, but then didn't stay home. And it was, there was a, a lot of stories going back and forth and her, she had cluster B personality disorder, uh, borderline personality being one of those components leads to a high degree of narcissism. Uh, telling the truth is a real problem for people with this disorder because, uh, they're, they're, they have a, an immense capability for manipulation. Uh, and when you combine that with addiction, it's it's a profound challenge for the addict and anyone who loves them. Yeah. Uh, but those, I think, twin storms came together with the real storm. She knew that I, I had I was angry about her kind of abandoning her brother during the storm. Uh, when I came home, it became evident she'd left her dog behind for several days during that period of time, something she would never do. Her dog was her child. And I, I could tell that something was slipping away. Uh, and, and then she physically was gone a lot for much of the month of September while she was away. Um, she had a car that I provided. It was stolen and then involved in an accident, uh, completely totaled. Uh, the accident had nothing to do with her, but the getting stolen, she wasn't as careful with something she should have been. Uh, so her fault, but not her fault. She felt horrible about that. She knew I was upset about it. And I tried to be as clear with her as possible that 
you know, I have to set boundaries to protect me, to protect her brother, but it doesn't mean I don't love you. It doesn't mean I don't accept you unconditionally, but there's behaviors that I can't accept unconditionally and there's costs that I can't bear unconditionally. Right. Uh, and she was trying to process those things, but I think she felt like she was failing. Uh, and she basically disappeared. We had this text dialogue of, are you coming home? And her dog passed away. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, she said, I, I feel too alone at home. Uh, she started hanging out with other people. Uh, she said she was involved in some kind of an art project. She was gifted in art. I came to learn this past year. I knew a little bit, but I was really shocked to learn how gifted with art she was uh, until this year unfolded. But uh, she basically went back to a group of people who were using she was taking things that would be mood altering, anything from Xanax to other kinds of things. Uh, she had been many years uh, a user and abuser of heroin and methamphetamine. Uh, I don't believe in the final toxicology. There was any heroin in her system, but there was meth. There were some variation of the Xanax, a couple of other things. Uh, but we have reason to believe that what killed her was uh, this Xanax or something like that that was laced with fentanyl. Mm. Uh, she had a lung condition. She thought she was having an asthma attack. Uh, the person who provided her with the drugs uh, at least had the decency to try to give her her rescue inhaler, which failed because fentanyl is way too strong that, for a rescue yeah. inhaler. Yeah. He tried to resuscitate her, at least did the right thing in calling 911. The police correctly don't charge people when they're called to an overdose scene. So this fellow could walk scot-free from that scene from a law enforcement point of view. Uh, but Christina was deprived of blood oxygen in her brain for more than 15 minutes, which is beyond any point of reasonable return. But because she was just this ridiculously strong fighter her involuntary system wouldn't quit. Mm. They've got her heartbeat back, but she was not brain dead, but severely brain swollen and severely brain damaged to the point where only involuntary things were working. Uh, she had to have assisted breathing for five days, uh, but then uh, we, the, the doctors were honest with us that, you know, once you're beyond three minutes, you're in danger. Once you're beyond five minutes, it's exceedingly rare for someone to come back. And if there is a comeback, they may never be able to recognize you. They may never be able to function as they, in anything close to what they did before. And we made the painful decision at, at remembering conversations that I'd had with Christina before, because unfortunately, given the life she'd chosen, this wasn't the first time she had gone under. She had to be brought back by Narcan two years prior from a time that she had mm -hmm. blacked out and gone under, but was brought back, was resuscitated within two minutes that right. time. Uh, this time it was too late. We went through five days of ICU, seven days of hospice, and then she passed. But she was part of the fentanyl epidemic. I'm sorry. I, I'm. No parent should have to go through that. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's why we do this podcast, because very early on in our podcasting, we had a gentleman whose son had died of an overdose. And it just, it breaks our heart. It's just... Yeah. 
Anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, it, it, it's it's you know, I'm I'm a little bit healed, but it, cu- it still hits me very very much in waves, and I probably will never be normal ever again. Uh, but uh, one thing that is deeply saddening, but also heartening in a way, is everywhere I go. And frankly, I have worked in public policy. I'm somewhat of a public figure. Uh, I have been a critic of the government of China. The government of China deliberately exports these precursor materials. I've been a critic of some of our American policies that are far too permissive in allowing these things to come into our country across our borders. I think this is a profound attack on the American family. Uh, And there's plenty that I would say under normal circumstances on television, radio, and otherwise, and I have. And Christina knew that I had campaigned against these things. Uh, But she told me that it was, that she knew that there was a cartel route that went up into Colorado that was feeding these things free to people in her area. And so she had dabbled with pills that were a high risk of having this before. Uh, and so again, it's not to say my daughter was a saint. Uh, there's, I, I don't say this to defame her in any way, shape, or form. She was beautiful. She was talented. But she made some really bad mistakes uh, that brought us all of this. But yes, there's a pain. There's a loss. Anyone who is an addict out there that is struggling, please know that there are parents like me that love unconditionally, have basically sacrificed any possible retirement, any possible future vacation in order to do everything possible to rehabilitate, nurture, save, provide, have a chance at the potential that we see in you. Yep. And you Uh, are worth it. You are not a loser. Right. You aren't. Right. You know, you've made some bad choices and the addiction is physical, mental, and spiritual. And I think a lot of people don't understand that you do because you've gone, you went through it with Christina. But one of the, one of the things that I think is a a beauty that has come out of the situation is the art that you found. Talk a little bit about what you found from her art. And I will put some pictures up on the video. I appreciate that very, very much. So when she lived in Colorado, I would visit as often as I could. And sometimes when I had to. Uh, to try to deal with medical issues or housing issues or cars that were getting wrecked or whatever the the emergency du jour was. Uh, And I I would stay in kind of the same hotel every time. They came to know me, came to know Christina. Uh, And in one of the times, uh, I saw a sketch pad that she had and she you know, she wanted to show me some of some of the things she had been drawing. Uh, And her grandpa on her mom's side was a gifted artist. This is not something she would have inherited uh, genetically, uh, but may who knows, maybe it sparked her by being raised by her mom and knowing her grandpa Dale. Uh, and she had in her spare time been doing these charcoal sketches. And it started out, some of them were just what you might imagine someone doodling, but she obviously had an innate ability to do things. Uh, now, I could color, but I could not draw the lines that you color inside of. Uh, and uh, I, But I know enough about art to know that getting hands and fingers exactly right, getting faces exactly right, is not something that usually is easy. It's something that people take many classes, lots of trial and error. And what 
whatever the creator had done with Christina, he zapped her with an ability to just sketch things out uh, just remarkably accurately without a single class. Wow. Uh, and so she was doing these doodles and some of them were so detailed that I thought, well, you must be copying this from somewhere. Did you like, did you see something on the internet? Did you go to a library? I mean, I know you wouldn't frequent libraries usually, but mm -hmm. what, where, how in the world did this image even come to you? And she confessed at one point, she said, you know, sometimes when I am high, I see some of these images. And when I am coming down from these things, part of what I do to manage my coming down and pass the time is, and when I'm not able to sleep, I will, I will draw. And she would draw these extremely detailed sketches. Wow. These are and, things that had themes that I didn't even know she read about, talked about, watched in TV or movies or what have you. These were themes that would come from Greco-Roman mythology. Wow. And, and they would be reflective of gods and goddesses, mostly goddesses because she was a proud, fiery fighting woman, but also a beautiful woman. And those were the two themes that came out in her art. But she would know which animal should go which, with, which, with which goddess. And then she would draw the feathers on an owl. And th th these things should be challenging or impossible for a novice. But she did them basically in her altered state through some of what she was doing. I... I believe she did some of these things sober too. I just know that during her time in Colorado, she basically wasn't sober. Mm. Uh, and so she had done these sketches then. She'd gone through recovery. She drew some during recovery. When she got out of recovery, that's when I really saw about a dozen of her sketches. Some of them, some of them were incomplete. And I knew that they were remarkable, but again, I'm not an artist. Uh, and so I took pictures because I was proud of what she had done and she was proud to share them. Uh, and she knew that others would wonder, could you have really done this? How, how did you do this? Uh, but I took the pictures and I shared them with a friend. Uh, and, and she immediately said, these are incredible and we'd like to do something with them. I thought, well, this is the first person who ever saw this innate quality that was inside my Christina. I loved her because of the spirit and the energy that she was, but a dad isn't the best judge of talent on these things. Uh, but it turns out that the, the person that I shared the images with was uh, Trish, who is the, uh, the benefactor behind the Imagine Museum and loved the art and was able to bring some of these things to life in ways that Christina and I could never really have dreamt of. And it gave Christina a moment of that drive of a, a life that could be if she would just give in to what dad is trying to help her with, that there were people like Trish and others in the art community where they would understand someone who's different, someone who's tatted up, who's gauged up, who is a blend of different races and looks, who is never going to conform to anyone's rules, but just, you know, is doing her thing. Art is kind of the perfect home yep. for a spirit like that. Yep. She had that, that glimmer, but that's how I discovered the art was visiting her, trying to help her and save her in Colorado. And then after recovery and relapse and recovery, sharing those pieces. And we were blessed to just have a couple of them end up in the Imagine Museum 
exhibit because Trish found them to be beautiful and God bless her for that. Yep. Did she meet Trish? Yeah. So we spent a day uh, at one of her uh, workshops and that's where the, uh, the, the carvings that you roll ink onto and do presses onto paper of the images were done. And so we did a number of ink presses of those images so that she was able to give those to her mom uh, in honor of her granddad, but also sort of a celebration of, hey, mom, look what I did. Uh, mm-hmm. Some for us to have, uh, but Trish was uh, just uh, unbelievably kind to have uh, the images also translated into glass medium, which uh, just has a, a remarkable look and feel to it. And so when we went through that day, Trish was able to show Christina, look, this went from your mind through your hands onto paper, and it became this beautiful glass exhibit. And I think that actually blew Christina's mind. A, she couldn't believe that someone like Trish valued her creation. Yep. Uh, to do that. And that was, you know, that was almost an angelic touch in my view. Yep. Uh, and, and, you know, but unfortunately it, it takes more than one angel to, to save someone who's got these dark passengers. But that was the beautiful moment they met. Trish was very encouraging, just was adamant about Christina. You are an artist. You have a gift. Yep. And uh, we had tried to get her to draw more, do more. Uh, but once after that, when she relapsed, she was too embarrassed to face the opportunity she was given. Yeah. Felt unworthy of it. Uh, and that was kind of the struggle through the end. Yeah. And just for our listeners who don't live in this area, um, it's Trish Duggan. And the museum is the Imagine Museum in St. Pete. And they do have a website. Um, you said that maybe some of the gla- her Christina's art will be on the website. I know it's not there now because I look. Right. Well, well, I haven't discussed that okay. yet with okay. Trish about where things will go. After Right now, it's in an active exhibit called Imagine Differently. Okay. Uh, and it will be up for some weeks, as far as I know. Uh, but I've already confessed my limited expertise in art generally, but also in museum exhibits, I'm also a novice. Okay. Uh, but uh, I know that in some form or fashion, we'll work together to make sure that it is memorialized and available. Uh, but uh, you know, maybe if we if we learn that, and you're so kind, we can have a follow up communication that goes out to anyone who wants to know. Absolutely. Here's some more art that you saw in this exhibit. Uh, we may try to uh, set up a memorial foundation uh, in honor of Christina, uh, not just about dealing with. Uh, what she struggled with and what our family struggles struggles to recover from, but also to celebrate the beauty of what she brought into this world that outlives her journey with us. Uh, And maybe some of that art will help raise money that helps support others who are going through addiction recovery. And I want to try to especially be of support to families who struggle with how do I deal with this? Where do I turn? How do I get my head straight? So many people have ideas. So many people are telling you what to do. And most yep. of that advice is coming from people who do not know this journey. They have not experienced it. Like coming from a right place, but it actually isn't coming from a right place. Right. Exactly. Well, definitely keep us posted. 
Um, you know, the foundation, the Imagine Museum website, I will, I'm going to put up, pick, I'm going to put up a picture of you and Christina. I'm also going to put, put up some of the drawings and I'm going to put up the, um, the glass art. I'm going to put those photos on this video for anybody who is just listening to the audio version of this podcast. I strongly recommend you go to YouTube and watch it so that you can see this artwork. It is it's phenomenal. I am a budding watercolor artist, and I will tell you what she did. It was unbelievable. I mean, it really is unbelievable. And thank you for doing that. Thank you for, you know, coming back enough from the grief to want to help others. We have had other people on the podcast who... Um, have lost children or lost a loved one and you know they are they want to do something to help others um, and so it's always appreciated because you know you you could by all rights just give in to the grief and not want to even talk about it and the fact that you're willing to talk about it and tell Christina's story and put that art out there it's huge and it's going to help other people so thank you and, and definitely keep us posted Thank you very much. It does warm my heart that there's couldn't be some good out of this. Uh, but if there's anything that I learned from this journey is the feeling of solitude and wondering. Uh, the, uh, the, the periods that were most difficult for me, as awful as it was to have to go with my daughter through her final journey, it was more difficult to live with not knowing where she was and whether she was safe or what she might be suffering. Uh, I, I know that there are many fathers in particular, I, as, a, as a man, as a father, I speak to them. I know that mothers feel uh, their, their way about this too, uh, but there are some out there that have, have lived with that pain and anxiety for decades. And I feel for you, I pray for you, I'm there for you, but it's that, that feeling of I failed in some way, uh, or I feel very sad and alone and people don't understand. I, I, I just wanna be a part of the, the growing chorus of people. I'm not unique, I'm not special, uh, but to the extent I can reach an audience and to the extent Christina and her story and her art can touch people in a different way, I wanna try to help people feel less alone have a little bit more hope, and maybe together we can find a way to keep this from happening to other families and to help those in despair find a way out that doesn't involve having to transition to the beyond. That's huge. Thank you so much, Steve, for everything you're doing and for what I know you will be doing down the line. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. Once again, the website of the museum is imaginemuseum.com. And I will put that website up here where I'm talking. And, you know, Christmas is around the corner. Hanukkah is around the corner. Kwanzaa is around the corner. If you or someone you know needs treatment, don't wait. Do it now. We'll be back again with another interview. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.